All right, we are back. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Natalie here, and I have a very special guest today from Puerto Rico. I'm going to go ahead and let her introduce herself. Hi, everyone. My name is Jamila. I am from Puerto Rico, like Natalie just said. I am attending Western University in Pomona, California, and I'm a second-year med student. Um, so, yeah, that's a bit about me. That's amazing. So, so before we, we went on live, um, you were telling me about the accreditation and the requirements that Puerto Rico requires for veterinarians. So tell us a little bit about that and kind of like what brought you to Western. So a common misconception is that um, Puerto Rico is considered like, Puerto Ricans are considered international students. And I mean, I get it, it's another country and everything, but it's still a U.S. territory. So in order to practice as a veterinarian back there, you need to be accredited, um, like you need to go through uh, AVMA accredited school, you need to pass your NAVLE, um, everything that uh, regular state schools or state um, individuals have to go through. So yeah, and additional to that, we have to uh, pass, there's a specific licensing for Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. but I think it's similar to some states that require like additional testing. I see. And then what kind of animals are usually in Puerto Rico that you hope to go back to? Or are you thinking of staying in the U.S.? I'm thinking about staying in the U.S. Um, we can talk more about that a bit later. Okay. But, um, but some of the animals that are big in Puerto Rico, so one of our main agricultural industries is dairy cows. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of dairy cows back home. Um, something interesting, actually, about dairy farming and stuff is that since Puerto Rico is in the Caribbean, um, there's always heat, and I don't know if well, cows suffer from heat stress, and that tends to like drop supplies and and milk and stuff. So mm-hmm. they've been genetically testing some cows that have been more resistant to heat stress. So if you're ever curious about that area of veterinary medicine, you can always hit me up. I have some papers about that. But I can't cool. really, like, explain it right now. So you can definitely hit me up in my Instagram account. <laughs> okay. And what was your Instagram handle? And I'm also going to put that at the end of this. So whoever's listening, you can also find this on the podcast too. But you'll go ahead, Yamila. Let us know what it was. My handle is at Yamila. It's spelled Y-A-M-I-L-A. And then B-E-P all in one word. Perfect. Yamila Bit. Awesome. So as far as like becoming a veterinarian what inspired you is this like a is this like the childhood dream or is this something that recently kind of came up and and kind of pushed you in this direction so I always knew I wanted to be part of the healthcare profession because my mom she's a medical technologist so Mm -hmm. I always was exposed to some some sort of uh health profession and I always knew I wanted to be part of it but it wasn't until late in my high school years like I think uh, I think it was even like senior year mm-hmm. that I, I really went like, oh, med, med is something that I'm interested in. And I applied to my undergraduate school, which is the only one in Puerto Rico who had a, a structured vet program mm-hmm. and like, like an animal science program. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. And I applied there and I started, like, I got accepted and everything. And when I started, it all clicked. It was like, I had that aha moment, mm-hmm. but yeah, it wasn't always my dream, but but it, I'm really passionate about it still. That's awesome. So that's still pretty recent then, because did you do undergrad or did you do community college? I'm not like, how did things work over there? I did uh, I did a full undergrad. Um, mm-hmm. 
it's supposed to be a four-year program, but it took me five years. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I started there. I did my bachelor's in animal science, and their focus over there is more on dairy cows. But I have some um, equine production experience too. Got it. So going back for a second here, you said that it took you five years, and I kind of want to tap into that really quick because there's a stigma around, you know, oh, students have to finish four years and then go straight to medical or wherever school. So what, what took, what was that gap for? Like what happened there? There are a lot of things happened. Life happened, year. right? Mm-hmm. Including um, Hurricane Maria. Oh, that's right. So Puerto Rico got hit in 2017 by Hurricane Maria. It was a very devastating hurricane and it stopped, it halted, uh, school for me for two months and stuff wow in addition to that i also struggled to like with some prereqs and stuff Mm -hmm. um so i had to repeat a couple courses which courses were they just curious because i know a lot of people struggle with similar things so i'm like i won't be surprised i think i I think it's a popular one i struggle with organic chemistry okay okay (laughs) yeah Yeah, that's a common one (laughs) but but yeah um I don't think it's necessarily bad to, to take five years or, or mm-hmm. whatever, because especially for me, I so Puerto Rico, uh, their tuition is way cheaper um, than state schools. Uh-huh. So what I'm gonna say is is a bit different for for everybody. So I was paying out of pocket for my tuition, and uh, in order to keep cost low, I couldn't get like 21 credits in one semester for example yeah so, so that's also another thing another factor that um, gotcha spread out my my undergrad experience but honestly i did a lot of um things in between like I, my summers i didn't spend them on school and i also did some exchange programs and stuff like that and i was gonna say taking your time doing your thing mm-hmm. is, I feel it's better than rushing through and like getting an even worse GPA mm-hmm. or getting into even more depth and something that thank you for sharing that. that yes I 100% agree yes yeah um something that if I looking back into my journey if I could do things differently I would have actually taken a gap year between vet school and undergrad Yeah, I did too, actually. I took about, I think it was three years off. I graduated in 2016 and then I, I started working as a, um, a studio manager and I was, I was teaching fitness classes. So my career shifted too. And then after a couple years of that, I realized that, you know, I think something about the veterinary medical field kept calling me. So then I went back and I completed a pre-vet program. And as soon as after completing it, I, I went to vet school. So I completely feel you on that route of like, there's no perfect way to do it. And I feel like there's a lot of, um, people that think that, and it's, it's really strange because there's so much that we need to live a little, you know, before jumping into such a big program, like becoming a a doctorate program. And another thing I also hear, um, and I'm wondering if maybe you hear this too from Puerto Rico or other friends in your circle, but, um, a lot of people aren't aware that veterinary school is a four year doctorate program. I've had so many people say, oh, you mean like a vet tech, you get a certification? And I'm like, no, I'm studying to be a veterinarian. And they still didn't understand what that meant. So do you experience that at all? Maybe I just want to know. Um, in my circle, people tend to know more or less that mm-hmm. it's similar to a med program. 
But what people don't know is that we also have specialties and we also have mm-hmm. um, to learn about, like, a lot about anatomy and physiology and pathology and stuff like that. They think, like, the conception is that, the misconception is that we go to vet school, I, I don't know, to kiss puppies and give puppies. <laughs> no. <laughs> Not even close. Yeah. <laughs> and something that, that really, like, shocked me once uh, was that in my school we have this course called interprofessional education so since we're a health related health profession school uh one student from each program that's like osteopathic medicine podiatry among others um so one student from each program gets together in this class and we form a group and we discuss different things um on one health and how professions should be like more integrated and stuff like that so when we were introducing ourselves um I was the last one to introduce myself, and everybody was like, "Oh, I want I'm a I'm a DO student, and I want to specialize in OBGYN, mm-hmm. blah blah blah." And when it came to my turn, I was like, "Oh, my name is Jamila. I'm a vet student. Um, right now, I'm interested in specializing in equine surgery." And everybody was like, "What? You guys have specialties?" And I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> I know, literally, yeah. It's like literally the feeling we all think, "Yeah, buddy." <laughs> But I definitely, that's kind of why, what inspired me actually to do this podcast, because I feel like there's so much that people just don't know in general about how hard this is, this field that we're in, going through vet school. Like you said, the prereqs are hard as it is, and then you have to score high enough, and there's only like limited, it's like five to 6% chance of getting in. And then on top of that, people still think they undermine it, and they, they, they're surprised when they find out that, you know, this is like a real professional doctorate career. So mm-hmm. I really hope whoever's listening, I hope that, you know, this, this, um, kind of fills in the gaps and, and spreads and sheds light on that. So thank you for sharing that. I'm really glad that you have an experience kind of in that area so we could talk about it, but, um, moving forward, what well, my other question was, um, when you were struggling with your prereqs and you, you said you had to repeat them, um, a lot of students feel complete defeat when this happens. You know, if I can't pass my prereqs, I'm not smart enough to be a vet and they give up. And this is a really, really toxic academic mentality that a lot of people have, not just pre-vet, but like pre-med, pre-dental, whatever. A lot of students have this. So what pushed you, what inspired you to retake it? Because making the choice to take longer and to retake organic chemistry, that's like real commitment. So what, what, like, what encouraged you to go forward with that decision? So you said a word that really resonated with me. There's a toxic culture that we have to be perfect. And mm-hmm. honestly, we're human. And early on my undergrad career, I saw this image where it was like a couple of different species of animals. And they were like their exam was to climb a, th- a tree and mm-hmm. the monkey could do it really fast, but the elephant couldn't even do it. Mm-hmm. So that really resonated with me because we don't all learn the same, but we are getting tested the same. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, so if you think about it, maybe you're not being tested in the right way. And, some, and that resonated with me because that's true for me. I'm not a good test taker, but in, even in vet school, I'm not a good test taker. <laughs> Neither am I. When you, <laughs> when, you, when you talk to me, when when professors talk to me and I've, I've been approached by professors like that know my scores and stuff and they told me what your grades like tell about yourself 
does not reflect what you actually know. Like you're way more. They didn't say that in this specific like way, but you're way more intelligent that than your test scores, and and that mm-hmm. shows when you're talking with you and stuff like that. So don't limit yourself to your grades. Don't limit yourself to oh I failed. So what you failed now you know how to go about it better or something like that. Like for organic chemistry specifically. Um, I noticed that the way I was studying was not giving me the results I wanted. And the second time I took it, I adjusted it. So I know that, at least for me, when I write stuff down, it tends to stick to my brain easier. Yeah. So the first time I was studying for organic chemistry, I was just reading and trying to like understand. But I wasn't writing stuff down. And especially for organic chemistry too, there were a lot of things that you needed to memorize in order to complete Uh, a problem set yeah so second time around I did this old school method where you grab a page and you repeat the same thing a million times Mm -hmm. repetition and that really helped me a lot um and yeah just to try to take uh, a different approach when you fail and don't be discouraged if you fail because we we've all failed once and then we moved on and did it even better so mm-hmm. at least that's my approach on life thank you and for that no that's great advice to have that mentality that like we're so much more than our grades we're so much more than this definitely. number that's not it's not given to us fairly it's just yeah thank you for that that was and, a really good point point. and something yeah and something that i really want to make sure to, to get across is mm-hmm. that if you understand this much um don't contribute to that toxic culture like if your friend is struggling don't go like oh you're a failure or what are mm-hmm. you gonna do or what is your plan b or whatever yeah no, like don't get all to- yeah don't get all weird and competitive and and cut other people down who are struggling that's very good a very good thing to, to mention too yeah so um the other thing i was gonna say you said that you're not good at test taking neither am i but i have found <laughs> some other ways to get better at it but i want to hear what you have done to kind of get around this because obviously like you said the end of the day you have to pass your classes you have to do well in vet school so as as students who have this in common as not good test takers what what kind of advice um or i guess like commentary would you give on other students who are not good at test taking or at least who are at western and how the grading system works um so western university has this particular thing that i i appreciate a lot so we take tests two times per semester. Mm-hmm. We're not like having a test each week. So the ba- the downside to it is that we have a week long of, of tests, like back to back. Yeah. But we get to prepare ourselves uh, for two months for these tests. And what the approach I've been taking is that I, okay, so at Western University, we get uh, a case each week. I don't know if any, oh, for the folks that don't know, we, we do problem-based learning, mm-hmm. which means that we get a case each week and we learn from that specific case. So, for example, right now I'm just closing up with my GI, gastrointestinal block, mm-hmm. and we got a case one week where we were presented with a dog with diarrhea, anorexia, and a couple other clinical signs, and we needed to think through as if we were the clinician and try to come up with differentials and try to think through, especially in second year, how the physiology is being impacted and what what pathologies can come up when that normal physiology is not going on. Yeah. So we get to explore all of our ologies from that case. 
And what I do is that each week, at the end of the, the week, I wrap things up with a study guide for that specific week. So mm-hmm. my, my faculty put out each week formative quizzes that don't uh, affect your grade. It's more for like your own benefit. And those formative quizzes hint at what you were supposed to hit that week. Mm-hmm. And so I go off of, from that. I classify each, que- each question like, oh, this is a physiology question, this is a pathology question. And I compare what my group came up with versus what the formative quiz and the other learning issues put up by the faculty is. And whatever I miss, I go back to it and add it to my study guide. So I've been collecting study guides from each week and then a couple of weeks before I start reviewing that. Um, Another thing that has helped me a lot in test taking per se is reaching out to the faculty and going like, I'm not doing well at your specific um, ology or specialty. And I'm wondering what approach I could take and they've always given me great advice. And the last thing that I used is that one of my friends, her her father is actually a a, prof- a, a teacher, a high school teacher, mm-hmm. and she told me that one thing that he has always recommended is that if you don't know something, go with your gut, follow your gut, and don't think about it. Don't go, don't come back to it or anything. Just stick with that answer because, and this is how she explained it to me. Um, when when that gut feeling arise is because your long-term memory is recalling something but it's not like a normal recall it's not like oh yes it's this it's something very hidden in your in your mm-hmm. memory back like words so, like vocab definitions the sound of things like it's like yeah. you just kind of know it you yeah i know what you mean it's there but, yeah and, and it has worked for me. Like, I've tried it. I go by the exam. I take each question. If I know the question, I really think it through. But if I don't know the exact answer, I go with my gut and do my best to, to work it out. It and mm-hmm. to, yeah, and don't come back to it because I tend to come back <laughs> to it and then switch it to, like, convince myself that another yep. answer was the right one. Yep. And then you end up, like, going crazy. And then you become exhausted with that question that you don't have energy for the ones you do know that are left on the test. Mm-hmm. that has really improved my score a bit so those are my my approaches awesome that's great thank you for that so the next thing I want to dive into two more things I want to talk about um being long distance from home how has that been being away from family or maybe if you have a significant other or has anyone traveled with you to the U.S. to be there while you're in vet school tell us tell us about that so this is like my big Thing about vet school and this has been the hardest thing because mm-hmm. uh, at least in Puerto Rico everybody is really close to each other at least in my family we're all very close and being away from them has been very hard and I've been with my boyfriend for a while now we, we've dated since high school Aww. so yeah so it's been a, a while now and we've always been together even in undergrad so now we're separated and he got a job at in North Carolina, so he is in the engineering industry. Wonderful. And he got a job over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because his family moved eventually over there. So he's with his family over there, and I'm over here in California. And at first, it was okay, and it was manageable because 
we could visit each other and stuff like that. Yeah. But with COVID and him being in the high risk category, it has been horrible. Yeah, I know. I know. So are you thinking of maybe moving to North Carolina once you have your DVM? Yes, that's, okay. that's where I come back to. I'm not moving back to where I go. I really um, think that he's gonna, we, we're going to be together for the long term. Okay, and that's awesome. Yeah, and he doesn't have a lot of job opportunities back home. I see. So <clears throat> the best uh, compromise we could come up with is me going back to North Carolina. I mean, North Carolina is a beautiful state. Um, my actual, the school that I'm at, I'm studying from the Caribbean, but I'm virtual right now. Um, one of the clinical schools, or I think it's North North or South Carolina, I don't remember, but there's, yeah, they have a great program out there, so that's pretty exciting. Yeah, NC State, yeah, North Carolina State, they have a great program too. Yeah, so last but not least, um, I just want to wrap it up with this one last thing. What is one, if there's one piece of advice that you could give to another pre-vet student or vet student, what would that piece of advice be? Don't be shy. <laughs> and why is that? <laughs> but I had to get over my shyness in order to get ahead in, in my pre-vet days because mm-hmm. so my undergrad was really big on engineering and stuff, but and when like opportunities for summer stuff came, it was mostly geared for the engineering students. And one day I got really fed up about it because they would say, oh, it's for everybody. But then when I got there, it was all these engineering companies. And I was like, okay, this is not working out. So then I took matters into my own hands and started getting more opportunities. That's what like, that's what led me to landing a shadowing gig at a racetrack, a horse racetrack. Nice. And where was that? Where was that at actually? It was in Puerto Rico. Yeah. Oh, in Puerto yeah. Rico. Oh my gosh, that's so amazing. Yeah, and after that, a lot of opportunities came up. Like, I've worked with the Puerto Rico Manatee Conservation Center. I've worked with, um, I, I went on an internship with Michigan State University when they used to have a diversity program, summer program. Um, that's even, awesome. Yeah, even when Maria hit, I, I, I'm always looking for the like for something to do with my time. And when Maria hit, a lot of schools started to accept Puerto Rican students for a semester. Mm-hmm. And I got to go to Cornell for free for one semester because of that. Wow! Wait, so what did you, what were you doing at Cornell then for a semester? We were. It was an exchange program because since cool. uh, school halted for in Puerto Rico for a while. They're doing these relief programs where they take Puerto Rican students and just give them an education while the, the island recovered. That's amazing. I know that there are some schools that have done that. I didn't know Cornell was one of them, though. That's awesome. It was a really great experience. Um, I got to visit the, their vet school, which, which is mm-hmm. awesome. And I got to one of the, the, the best classes I've ever taken was there. It was their rep- animal reproduction class um, for their undergraduate program. That's fascinating. Back to to what we were talking about. Um, Yeah, don't be shy. Be be proactive and, like, look for opportunities. Look for something to do. And if somebody says no, don't take it personal. Mm -hmm. Just 
keep moving and one person will say yes and once that person says yes a lot of a lot of doors will, will open up for you that's awesome that's a great way to kind of wrap this up that is awesome thank you so much but, yeah, um, my pleasure. Yeah, so we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. So, Yamila, thank you so much again for your time. This was wonderful. I love that we're finishing it with this positive um, go for it attitude. So if you're listening, yeah. just remember that. Just don't give up. If Like like Yamila said, if there's if someone says no, take there will be someone who will say yes and doors will open and just keep going. That's wonderful. All right, guys. Also, like, you can reach out to Natalie and I instagram like we said mm-hmm. and I, I believe like we're both um here for you guys yes 100 percent. well thank you i'm gonna go ahead and wrap this up and again thank you everyone for listening in this is dr natalie here or future dr natalie and until the next podcast see you guys <laughs>